We moved to a new house yesterday, and I want to say a big shout out to Robert Weeks here, who is a workhorse. Let me tell you, he can he can get it done. I think he he did most of it. So thank you. Yeah, but uh, so we stayed our first night there last night, and I thought the wind was going to blow over our house a little bit. And I was like, oh gosh. And there's something sounded like fireworks going off, but I think it was something in our neighborhood. So hopefully that's not like an every night situation, but I'll let you know if it sounds like fireworks are going off every single night. Um, That'll be unfortunate. So anyway, um, (laughs) I'll write it on a prayer card. You'll see it on a prayer card. Please stop fireworks going off. Um, So we're in our Christmas series. Um, We've been going over some clips. We've been watching movie clips. I'm talking about how that um, reveals to us who God is and and what he's like. And um, today I want to read this passage um, from the book of Luke in chapter 6. It reads like this. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you and reject your name as evil because because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because your reward is great in heaven. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, God, I just pray that you bless these people here in this room, God, that you infuse them with your joy, that you show us your love, that you show us us how precious we are, God. And I just pray that we would take what you say about us, God, and that we would take it to heart, that we would believe it as true, that we would be blessed In your name, no matter what people say of us and no matter what people do to us, that we would be truly blessed in the way that you desire. In your name I pray, amen, amen. Well, this morning, um, I want to show a clip from the 1964 claymation film Rudolph, the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And uh, as we sh- as we watch this, I think you'll be amazed at uh, how bad animation used to be. Um, seriously, when I watched this, I was like, "This was done in someone's garage, like for sure." You know, and uh, uh, we've come a long ways. I'll say that technology has improved greatly and stuff. So let's watch this. This comes from um, the Island of Misfit Toys. August, thick as peanut butter. You mean pea soup. You eat what you like, or I'll eat what I like. Land ho! No kidding. Where are we? Hey, looky up there. Us, of course. Who'd you think? Oh, well, then that's okay. Okay? Who, may I ask, are you? We're Rudolph and Hermie and Yukon Cornelius, sir. 
Who are you? I'm the official sentry of the island of misfit toys. A jack-in-the-box for a sentry? Yes, my name is... Don't tell me. Jack. No, Charlie. That's why I'm a misfit toy. My name is all wrong. No child wants to play with a Charlie in the box, so I had to come here. Where's here? pistol that shot jelly that would make cleanup for pb and j's pretty simple um but something had gone wrong these were defective toys in some way they're missing buttons or maybe having spots when they weren't supposed to or maybe they had the wrong name maybe they had square wheels when they were supposed to have round ones it's the kind of toys that were discarded and excluded and not used and Rudolph feels welcome on this island. He has a lot in common because uh, he, d he, he was excluded. He didn't fit in. He was a misfit. Rudolph, if you haven't heard, um, was a reindeer with a very shiny nose. All the other reindeer, oh, whoa, you might even say it glows. 
I don't know the song. You, if you know me, you know I'm lyrically challenged. Uh, so even when they're there, uh, I can't see them. So. All the other reindeers used to laugh and call him names. And they never let poor Rudolph join in any of their dumb, stupid reindeer games. Rudolph was a reject from these games, and that is why he was wandering around, running away, until he came to this island of misfit toys. Now, kids and teens and adults, do you ever feel like a Rudolph? Do you ever feel like an unwanted toy? Do you ever feel like a Charlie in the box? Or felt like an elephant with dots? Or train with square wheels? Have you ever felt like an outsider? When I was a kid, I can certainly remember uh, feeling like an outsider sometimes. I'm sure all of you guys can. Sixth grade in particular, I remember as being the worst grade of all time. Can I get an amen? Um, it, for me, it was my first time going to school, so that just added to the to the natural horror of sixth grade. And I don't know, like sixth graders today, you know, they don't seem to hit the same awkward stage that like I hit and other people my age hit when they went through sixth grade. Like I think maybe scientific advancement has helped sixth graders to not go through this awkward stage. But when I was a kid, like we all looked like mythological creatures, like a little bit, like half, half giraffe, half koala bear, like type things. And that's cause like, you know, your body's like growing, right? You're, you were a kid and now you're becoming like an adult. You're coming like a teenager. Um, but your body parts don't like do this in one smooth, like transition. Like you'll wake up one morning and you'll have like a unibrow and armpit hair. And the rest of you looks like a kid still, except you're like, have a unibrow now. Or, you know, sometimes like, you know, your body, your torso is like the same size, but your arms are like, no, we're like a foot longer now. And you're like walking around like a spider, you know, and tripping over stuff. And it can be, it can be awkward. And for me, you know, um, my two front teeth, they came in like good and strong, uh, and, the rest of my head had to like grow into these teeth for a while or whatever. So I had like two big buck teeth and then my lips too, you know, I decent sized lips for, for a white guy. And, uh, my head also had to like grow into the size of these lips. And, um, I looked like a Mr. Potato head. I feel like, you know, for a while. And so you can be like all sorts of insecure, like about your awkward stage and, 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 and kids have these reindeer games, right? They, you know, we we pick on, you know, who who's who's the prettiest or who you know, who has acne or doesn't have acne, and uh, you know, who's the fastest? Kids play reindeer games of who's the tallest and who's the smartest and whose parents have the most stuff and whose dad can beat up whose dad and who's the most popular and. Who's the most talented? Who's the best singer? The reindeer games of who's the best dancer. And of course, the reindeer games of who has a boyfriend or who has a girlfriend in sixth grade, which I was not good at. And you have your dashers and your prancers and who are really good at winning and they always win. And then you have your Rudolphs that are excluded from the game. And if you've ever been a Rudolph, you might 
be familiar with the jealousy that you might feel about others who are winning or who are on the inside. Now, like I said, um, I switched schools in sixth grade, but I didn't just switch school. I, like, switched from homeschool to actual school, which is, you know, a fun experience. Um, You you know, at my old school, you know, the Ekblad Academy, um, my mom was the only girl there, you know. So... As far as talking to girls went, I had basically zero experience. Uh, There's newborn babies that, like, have more game than I did in sixth grade. And uh, if a girl, like, said anything to me whatsoever, like, if if they bumped into me and said sorry, I was, like, totally blushing, like, full red face, like, and I was like, (laughs) you know. Or, like, if they said my name, if they said, hey, Trent, it was like, you know, like, sirens going off inside my head. And, you know, I did, like, what any sixth, you know, like, when you're in sixth grade, you're like, well, I'm not blushing. You know, like, you're like, well, I don't think I'm blushing, but your heart's beating 10,000 miles per hour. And, uh, and you know, and to make it worse, like, the, the girls left no doubt that I was blushing because they asked why are you blushing, Trent, which made it worse. And, uh, I, you know, I did what any sixth grader would do and just said, I'm not blushing. I don't know what you're talking about. This, yeah, this is just, oh, I got, I got sunburned yesterday. You know, like, uh, just trying to avoid it. And that, like, that was, like, my thing for a while in sixth grade. Like, oh, like, if you're a girl and you say something to Trent, he'll blush or whatever. So they're all, like, doing it on purpose, like, making me blush and... Yeah, sixth grade. Um, that was, that wasn't, you know, that was a challenge. And sometimes, you know, I got envious of the boys that could talk so smoothly to these sixth grade girls. And I was like, man, I just wish I could talk to a girl without blushing. Or they could say my name without blushing. That'd be awesome. And so, um, I just, you know, I was trying to come up with a plan, you know, like, how can I be cooler, I guess, you know, natural sixth grade thought. And so um, I decided to join a run club in sixth grade, which if you know me at all, I hate running. I am not, I think it's a silly thing, you know, unless you're running from a bear, that makes sense. But why just run for running sake, you know, and I'm, I'm the type of person that, you know, Anytime I've ever ran more than one mile, more than half a mile maybe, I'm, like, filled with regret and remorse immediately. Like, why am I doing this, you know? We've invented technology that takes care of this for us. Like, this is barbaric running. And so that's my personal feelings. I don't know about you guys, but, like, you know, when I see the sticker on the back of the car that says, like, 13.1 or, you know, 26.2, I'm like... Pride cometh before the fall, you know, like, I'm like, you know, that's, that's, but that's out of my own insecurities, you know. So anyway, so joining a run club was not a good idea, but the reason I did it was the kids that were in run club, as you, if you ran like a certain amount, you got this little plastic, I mean, it's probably like this big, this little plastic foot that had a hole in it. 
and it was like colored and you got that for running a certain amount and then you and then you put it on your shoelaces i thought that was pretty cool and the guys that were like you know getting all the girls they had a lot of these a lot of different colors so you know i've figured out you know like male birds you know they'll like show off their colorful feathers to try and attract a mate like this is the sixth grade equivalent of that it's like look how many colors i have um so that was that was my thought process like i'm gonna join run club and i'm gonna get some colorful feet things on my shoes and then the girls will like me and off to the races you know but uh that didn't really work out because some i'm not not born to run as they say uh and you know a certain thing happens you know sometimes like a nice person would be like hey do you want me to set a pace for you you know like one of the boys that was good at running came along do you want do you want me to help help you run faster you know which is a nice thing to do i suppose but if you're like full of jealousy and security you're like you're asking me if you want me to for you to run faster or slower than you actually can but faster than i actually can and i'm like that's feels like the most insulting thing possible so no thank you and, and so I I, I I i think i got one plastic foot for like one mile and it was a black one you know so it wasn't even a color and so and that was all i needed that was my taste and i said well i'll just be celibate for the rest of my life um and so you can imagine my jealousy you know when 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 i saw these other guys you know and they had all the intention you know and they got all the colors on their shoelaces and and if you're a loser in the reindeer games, if you're not good at it, then you, then you start to feel pretty jealous sometimes. Now, as you get older, things don't really necessarily change anymore. Adults have their own brand of reindeer games. Who's the most successful and who has the most money or who has the most possessions, the biggest house, the nicest car, the fanciest clothes? Or who's the best looking or the prettiest or the youngest looking or who has the best reputation and we don't usually acknowledge that we're playing these games you know kids will just let you know that like i'm better than you like my dad can beat your dad up they just are upfront about their thoughts or whatever you know but adult you know adults you know we're a little bit more civilized we're a little bit more sophisticated so we don't we don't often acknowledge that we're playing these games sometimes we don't even realize that we're playing these games we're so indoctrinated it's just a part of our culture and what we do that sometimes we don't realize that we're playing this game but if you check your emotions if if jealousy occurs when someone succeeds at something that you wanted if there's jealousy there then then you're playing the game then you're in competition with that person there's people that are just good at the reindeer games of life, right? They're always winning and they make it look so easy and flawless, you know. And it's easy to be for jealousy to grow in our hearts sometimes, resentment against that person. Pastors, we play our own 
uh, version of reindeer games, you know, who, you know, who has the biggest church or who has the best programs or the best worship or who's the best preacher. And if we check our emotions, sometimes we can find ourselves, you know, not being happy about the church down the street growing or, you know, or not, you know, or qualifying other people's successes. You know, they do something good or they get a promotion or they do that and you say, well, that's because, you know, so such and such and blah, blah, blah. You know, you qualify it. Wherever these games are, there are winners and there are losers. There are dashers and prancers and then there are Rudolphs, people on the outside. And maybe you felt this. Maybe you felt in a world of black noses that yours is a shiny red one. In a world of fast trains, do you feel like you have square wheels? In a world of gray elephants, do you have odd spots? In a world that values riches, are you kind of poor? In a world that celebrates beauty, are you or do you consider yourself to be average? In a world that values talent, are you pretty ordinary? In a world that values possessions, do you find that you have very little? In a world that values success, do you find that you are maybe unemployed or have been? In a religious world that values religion and perfection, do you find that you can't get past the fact that you are a sinner? And so you don't ever feel welcome or comfortable around God. Do you feel like a misfit? Most of us have at some point. Christmas speaks directly to this in some ways. It's what it is all about because Jesus was the quintessential, total, and complete misfit. This Christmas story tells us about how he was born to parents that were misfits. Mary, who got pregnant before marriage, that would have been a big no-no in first century Judaism. That would be a stain that would never be removed, a, a reputation that would be inescapable. And even though it's not, you know, it wasn't Mary's fault, you know, it's a miracle. It's a miracle of God that she got pregnant with, with Christ no one would have believed her, right? I mean, would you would you believe a 16-year-old girl if she said she got pregnant by the Holy Spirit? I wouldn't. And so they wouldn't have believed her. And Joseph is a misfit for marrying her. He, you know, for 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 taking this woman who 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 had not stayed true to him, who, who had someone else's child, they would have viewed him as, as taking on a woman of ill repute, and therefore he would be a misfit as well. And, I mean, we can see this, right? They, they gave birth to Jesus in a stable, in a barn. How many people do you know that have done that? And if you can imagine someone that did that, you could probably imagine that they wouldn't fit in with the rest of society very well. Jesus himself was a misfit because he didn't fit in with the, the religious games of, of the Jewish religious leaders. 
you know, in, in, in John chapter 8, the Pharisees were teasing Jesus, saying, at least we know who our father is, implying that Jesus was born out of wedlock and didn't know who his father was. He hung out with misfits, hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors, people that were outsiders, touched leopards, something you weren't supposed to do, crossed racial barriers, interacted with a Samaritan woman. These would be big no-nos. In other words, what I'm trying to say is Jesus wasn't very cool. He wasn't one of the cool kids. He gained a reputation as a drunkard and as a womanizer. And so in a first century world where it was all about your reputation, that's what people were all obsessed with, keeping your reputation flawless. Jesus's reputation wasn't very good. Hung out with the wrong people, did the wrong things, said the wrong things. So, but Jesus in this passage from Luke teaches us that the misfits are blessed. Blessed are the poor. In a world that plays the reindeer game of riches, blessed are the poor. In a world that plays the reindeer game of being exalted, having a superb reputation, blessed are the lowly. In a world that plays the reindeer game of being on the inside, Jesus says, blessed are the rejected. Why? Why does he say this? It doesn't feel very good to be on the outside. Why are you blessed when you're on the outside? There's something about those games, those reindeer games that we all play that is not good. Though they may seem harmless, like we do it all the time, or we might not even realize that we're playing them, they are built upon idolatry. They're built upon the sin of idolatry. And what I mean by that is we play them to, to get something. Why do we play these games? Well, if you ask yourself, why do we seek to win the games of money or popularity or success? And why do we get jealous of other people when they seem like they're winning the games? The answer, if you're introspective enough to see it, is that we play these games because we're trying to win something. Maybe we're trying to win approval. Maybe we're trying to win success, in, at least in our own mind. Maybe we're trying to win happiness. Maybe you're playing reindeer games to win a sense of being powerful. Maybe you're trying to win accolades from other people. Maybe you are trying to win your self-worth. Maybe you're trying to win a feeling of being alive. That's why we play these games, but all those things that come, the, the happiness, the success, the sense of worth, when we play these games, it's, it's, it's momentary satisfaction. When we play these games, we, we might win one day, but the next day have to wake up and try and win it all over again so that we can have that sense of purpose. And if other people are better at us, then maybe we have jealousy or anger of contempt. You know, it's like, um, you know, we moved into a new house yesterday, and it's, it's bigger than our old house, and I'm super excited about that. Like, I'm happy. I'm genuinely happy about it. 
But if I'm honest, I know that that happiness will, will fade into normalcy over time, right? And I can look at the house across the street and say, man, if I could be in that house, I'd be happy, right? Or maybe some, you know, coworker or someone else gets gets a bigger house and you feel like you deserve it and they don't and you are jealous of that. But Jesus is saying, blessed are those who, who do not participate in those games. Blessed are those who have lost the reindeer games so thoroughly that they don't even care anymore. Those are the ones who are blessed. And why is that? Because now you are in a position to be free. Now you are in a position where you are no longer competing in the reindeer games and trying to win acceptance and worth as the world defines it. Jesus says you have to lose your life in order to find it. What does he mean when he says that? In Luke chapter 9, I want to read this. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? When we lose our life, when we give up on trying to win the reindeer games, we're finally free to live the life God intends for us. And what did he intend for us? God designed us in such a way that we should get all of our worth, our significance, our purpose, our love, our value from him and him alone. He gives us all, he gives us all his love and all, and he tells us how worthy and how beloved of a child we are. And he does this for free. We don't have to compete for it. No matter what you do, God loves you the same. His love is infinite. It doesn't matter what your past is, what your present is, or what your future is. He loves you unconditionally. That is why, you know, in this Christmas season we celebrate that Jesus came to earth to reestablish the relationship between God and man so that we could all get our sense of worth and value from him. You see, when we play the reindeer games, we, we try and get our value out of, from, from other people. We try and compete and show how, how worthy we are, or we try and show at least, hey, you know, I'm worth more than that person. And we judge ourselves and we judge, you know, above other people or below other people. We think in this way where we receive our value from, from people, but that's not how God intended it. God intended us for us to get our worth, our value, our love from him. And knowing that we are infinitely loved by God frees us from needing to scramble around and play in all the reindeer games of the world. Because we don't have to get our worth from that. When you understand that you are perfectly and fully loved by God, you don't have to try and win love anymore by competing. You already have it. There is nothing the reindeer games can offer you that you don't already have in Christ. 
And now, like, this isn't a sermon about how, you know, you should just, like, quit your job and stuff and be poor. You should still go to work. You should still probably make money and pay the bills. But you shouldn't do it to compete with others for recognition. You know, I think it's, like, an easy example to say, like, you know, if you're... If you're a singer, you know, I feel like you can feel this like this when you're younger or whatever, you know. If you're a singer and that's your identity and you're wrapped up in that, like, hey, everyone loves me because I can sing so well. The moment someone else comes along and they can sing well too, you might feel threatened by that. Like, will people love me less because they love this other person too? Am I less special, you know, like, you know, if, if I if I play guitar and my whole identity is wrapped up in how, um, you know, I'm a good guitar player, I'm the best guitar player, you know, well, what happens when someone else comes along and they're better than I am? It's easy to feel jealous about that. It's easy to have envy, but that is not what God intended, how, how he intended for us to live. He didn't intend for us to to live competing for his love. No, he's already given us his love. So our life should be a gift of praise to God. When I play guitar, it should be not to show how good I am, you know. I know, or or to impress, God, do you love me more now that I can play guitar better? No, 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 no. He loves me infinitely. And... And when I know that and I understand that, I'm no longer trying to earn his love, but I'm just giving it to him as a gift, you know? And so whatever your profession is, you know, you can you can choose to compete. You can choose to compete in the reindeer games and get jealous of other people. Or you can choose to live your life as a gift to God that you give him your best and your abilities and and you actually don't even care what the world thinks anymore. You're doing it for God and God alone, not for man. One more thought. When we fully understand our value in Christ, when we fully get and understand that we have unsurpassable worth, that we understand that God gave his life for you, when we fully grasp that, and we're no longer competing with other people, only then God can turn our defects into beauty. He can use the things we're ashamed of and and, and turn it as to tools to show his love to others. You know, we are each uniquely made. We all have gifts and talents and, and a past and a story that is different from one another. And when we're confident in our worth, which comes from God, we allow him to use us as we are. We are no longer trying to hide our defects. You know, in the story of Rudolph, obviously, you know, Santa used his defect to guide the sleigh on a a foggy Christmas Eve. That red nose was no longer a problem to Santa. He used it. You know, and I watch that clip, and I like to think of those other toys, you know, with their defects. I like to think that maybe that train, you know, with the square wheels, maybe Santa gave that train, you know, to a boy who had crippled legs, and maybe that train was his favorite toy 
because he identified with it. Maybe that elephant with spots, maybe that didn't go to a child with, with perfect skin, but maybe it went to a child with some sort of skin disease. Maybe that toy was his favorite. Maybe that ship that couldn't, couldn't float, maybe that became the t- favorite toy of a boy that got made fun of in gym class for being afraid of water, for being afraid to swim. Whatever it is, whatever it is that makes you a misfit, we're all misfits. We're in a kingdom of misfits. This is a church of misfits. Whatever it is, God can use that. He can use it to show his love to others. I want to close with this passage. Pastor Rob actually shared it um, a couple weeks ago, but I felt like it applied to this idea of reindeer games. This comes from Ephesians 4, verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Don't live as the world does, competing in the reindeer games. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They have lost all sensitivity. They have lost all sense that they're even playing the games. They don't even realize it. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance to the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught to regard uh, with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You don't have to play the reindeer games. In fact, Paul is instructing us not to. Instead, we are to find our worth, our significance in Christ and Christ alone. And when we understand that, when we grasp that, we're able to be move beyond the, the petty jealousy that fills our lives. We are able to celebrate with each other when good things happen. We don't have to play in that game because we understand that, that we are no longer in competition with each other. Paul says we war not against flesh and blood, right? We People are not our enemy. And when we opt out of the reindeer games, when we no longer are playing them, we are able to enter into the joy that Christ means for our lives. Stand with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love that you have shown us in the Christmas story, God. We thank you that you showed us that we have unsurpassable worth, that there is nothing we could do that would turn your love away from us, nothing we could do to, to reject the love that you, you send towards us, God, that you, regardless, you love us regardless of our past. You, re, you love us regardless of what we've done. 
and that you continue to love us even as we stumble along, God, even as we try and, and, and become more like you, God. You do not give up on us, God. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would work in us as a church, God. That you would speak to us, God. That you would begin to point out areas in our life where where we're playing a reindeer game that we don't even realize, God. I pray that you just point out areas in our life where we are in competition with others, God, where we are trying to derive our self-worth from, from other people, from sources other than you, God. And I ask that you begin to work in our lives, God, that you begin to make changes, that you begin to make adjustments in us, and that we are able to live as children of light, that we are able to live as you created us, as you created us in your image, God, that we enter into that. That we enter into the relationship that you intended for all of humanity. That we get our worth and significance from God and God alone. God, I thank you for everything you are doing here amongst these people. And I just pray that you would bless us, God. Bless these misfits, God use them to further your kingdom. In your name, the name above all, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we close our services by taking up an offering. There are three ways you can do that. You can do it in uh, the buckets that the ushers will bring.